Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez My Best Teacher podcast, hosted by me, Dan Worth. Today's guest is TV presenter and radio host and former teacher, Maureen Baig, best known for hosting several documentaries on the BBC, including The Truth About Getting Fit at Home and Islam Women and Me. And she hosts a Radio 4 show called The Secret Life of Teachers. We chat about her school days, from being a model pupil into her teenage years when things didn't quite go to plan, but all worked out in the long run, to why she often found teaching scarier than hosting TV shows that are broadcast to millions. And she reveals why she was once, as a teacher, sent home from school. All that and lots more on the My Best Teacher podcast from Tez. Hi, Maureen. Welcome to the My Best Teacher podcast. Um, lovely to have all you on as a guest. Let's start then by setting the scene. Uh, where did you go to primary school? Uh, and do you have sort of good memories of that school? I have fantastic memories of primary school. It was like the best time of my life. <laughs> I went to primary school in um, in Tottenham, actually, where I went back and became a secondary school teacher when I was older. Um, and that's where, yeah, I spent, we moved school a lot, actually, when I was younger. I um, We moved house a lot. So I went to a couple of different primary schools and a couple of different secondary schools. But the one where I spent the most amount of years was in Tottenham. And I've got really, really fond memories. It was, it was brilliant. That's nice to hear. I mean, you hear so many people say primary school was like the best time of their life with such passion. Um, I loved um, it. Do you know, I remember when for any reason, for whatever reason, um, my mum would say, you know, you can't go to school tomorrow. I can't remember why. And I literally, I remember being devastated. I was like, no, I can't miss a day of school. I have to go in. I loved my friends. I loved learning. I just absolutely loved school. Yeah, oh, that's great. And, and again, at that school then, was there a teacher as well that really made it special that you felt you remember their lessons? It's like always been creative and fun and engaging, something like that? Uh, in primary school, I'm not sure if there was one teacher that really stood out to me. Actually, wait, I'm lying. There was a teacher I had in year one. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say her name, I'm probably not. And I remember, I can only describe her as sort of being like Miss Honey from Matilda. Mm. She was just really gentle and really, I remember her being really beautiful um, and just thinking she was just really pretty. And she was just super kind and soft. And I remember we had her again in year three and she came back after summer holidays and we were really excited we were going to have her again. And she suddenly came back and she had chopped all her hair off and it was like dyed bright red and all spiked up. And she'd had some sort of, she had a new boyfriend. I remember her telling us she had a new boyfriend and he just, she was just different she just became this sort of wild child. And at that point, I didn't really understand what was happening. But now that I'm older, I just think that was so interesting. I wonder, I wonder what was happening in her life. And like, you know, she must have been, she must have been early 20s, kind of. And she, I guess she was very much finding herself at the time. But obviously, when you're in primary school, you just think teachers are all kind of 100 years old and they're all adults <laughs> and have their, have their stuff together. But yeah, I remember her. I remember being really surprised on the first day when she walked in and with this new hairstyle. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's happened to my favourite teacher? So I remember that. Um, I think my, yeah, I've got little moments. Even in secondary school, I had an English teacher in my first secondary school. And um, she, again, she was really, really lovely. And we 
were in school one day and she was absent. And when she came in after that, she told us that she'd been in a car crash. And we were all mm. really horrified. We were year seven at the time. We were like, oh my gosh. And then she gave us this, she sort of stopped the lesson and she gave us this long speech where she said, um, when she got into this car crash with her children, with her husband, she thought, you know, I could have at that point thought to myself, God, I really don't have time for this right now. I can't afford to be paying for the damages and I can't da 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 da. And she said, but I stopped and I thought to myself, thank God nobody was hurt. And again, I was, I was a year seven. I think at that point, I didn't really understand the, the, the seriousness of what she was saying. And I didn't understand, you know, that she was saying she can afford it at a time and all of these kind of mm. adult problems. But it really stuck with me as I got older. And I always think back to that sometimes. And when something really difficult happens, like when I go through something quite difficult, I always think back to that one moment mm. where she had said that she was in this car crash and she had to stop herself and think, like, and remind herself to be grateful that nobody was hurt. Yeah, that is a nice story, isn't it? it does, and it does show that those little moments that a teacher has with their with their class, with their pupils, you know, can last a long time in, in ways that they probably don't realise. But because that's a very positive message to take away, isn't it? That kind of memory of, yeah, things are bad, but no one got hurt. I was 11 at the time. I think as a 31-year-old woman, I still like remember that and I still like apply it. It just shows what mm -hmm. a massive influence you can have as a teacher, even a throwaway comment, even something that you've said just on a random day, on a bad day, it can, it really does stay with your students for, for the rest of their lives. Which is very important, isn't it? Because well-being is such a big thing these days in school and, and it will only increase, particularly, you know, in the pandemic and post-pandemic. So it does show, doesn't it, that a teacher modelling good, positive mental attitude and, and however we term it is, yeah, like you just said, it, it does last, doesn't it? That's a massive responsibility though, isn't it? To think, because obviously teachers are humans too. And if, as you say, during the pandemic, for example, like so many are struggling with their own mental health and they've got their own lives and their own issues. And then to have the responsibility of looking after the mental health of hundreds of other young people and to know you've got such a massive influence on them and the way that they view life and the way that they view situations and experiences and people is huge. The role of mm. teachers and the is is massive. I think people don't understand. Like lots of people think it's just reading out a textbook. We were talking before and you were saying that your your older sister is a teacher as well. And you were sort of saying that that inspired you a little bit to get into teaching. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how that played out in your life? I come from a family of teachers. My my brother's a teacher, my sister's a teacher, my cousins, my my brother's <laughs> wife, everybody. Um, we are a family of teachers. My sister um, is one of the most incredible teachers I've ever seen. And actually, even before she qualified, she's eight years older than me. And she basically taught me everything I know. So when I was in school and she was sort of, she would use her lunch money to buy me textbooks and exercise books. And I would come home from school and we would just spend hours going through these textbooks together or reading together. And mm. I learned so much of what I know just from homeschooling, basically from her. And um, even like her style of teaching, I can see it when I teach today, I can see myself sort of mimic the way that the same methods that she used, I use the same methods today on my students. And um, she is one of the reasons, she's probably the reason why I became a teacher in the first place. Yeah. 
that's how I yeah. remember my, like my childhood was literally coming home and really looking forward to seeing what book she would have brought me today and she would just yeah spend hours until I went to bed just got, just teaching me stuff mm. yeah that's lovely and then did that then translate when you because you, you mentioned secondary school and how you went I think you said you went to a couple of different secondary schools but but overall I mean I appreciate that that can change make life a bit harder maybe but did you sort of enjoy school overall? Like, did you, the fact, particularly when you're older, that you were there to learn and did that sort of carry through into your lessons or were you sometimes a bit sort of, did you, you know, disengage and switch off from it a bit sometimes? I was a model student <laughs> of, <laughs> um, up until, let's say, year 11. So I spent the first 15 years of my life being incredible. I mean, I never ever ever got in trouble I I just did everything that was asked of me I went above and beyond my homework was always you know if they'd asked for half a page I was that annoying kid that came back with seven pages for you to mark um all the additional challenges were always completed I mean school work was my life and I loved it I think that's also part like it's from my parents too my parents were really really strict when it came to education they were really passionate that their children were, you know, we we were given no leeway to not to misbehave or to, you know, be disagree with what our teachers were saying. Um, yeah, and that definitely translates into how I behaved at school. I think when I was 16 in year 11, that's when things got a little bit tricky. And I discovered makeup and boys and I started rolling my school skirt up a little bit so it was a little bit shorter and I yeah had a little bit of a blip then which lasted for a good couple of years actually and I sorted myself out again when I got to university. Yes I mean I mean this the 16, 17, 18 period at school is is un, you know known for being troublesome isn't it? even for most model people which obviously happened to you so. I got a little bit overconfident I think. I was, yeah, I was so prepared for my GCSEs. As I say, my, I'd been, I'd, I knew my GCSE syllabus inside out before I even got to year 10. And I sat my math GCSE in year nine. And I think I just let all of that get to my head a little bit. And I became a bit overconfident. And I thought, ah, I don't need to study anymore. So I started truanting and I, yeah, I, I, I started thinking I was too good for school. And I was wrong um, <laughs> when I got to my A-levels. I mean, I was, I was, I was definitely wrong. I didn't make my offer. I had a medicine offer at Queen Mary. I didn't make it. I had to go through clearing, and that's when I thought, ah, should have stayed humble, Marie and Vague. Yes, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good lesson. I'm sure teachers listening will think, God, I hope some my my pupils don't go for that. You know, could could know that at the time and not have to learn it after the fact. But that's part of uh, part of life sometimes, isn't it? To learn only after the event. Yeah. And, you know, everything happens for a reason. You don't realise at the time. So at the time it was it was the end of the world. And I thought I've just, gosh, ruined my whole life. And I ended up doing English at university through clearing, as I said. But if I hadn't, if that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. If I, I wouldn't have become an English teacher and, you know, teaching were the 10 years I spent as a teacher. It was it, they were the best 10 years of my life. I absolutely mm. loved it. And because of that, I started writing my blogs. And because of that, I joined telly. So it was like, obviously, everything leads on to the next thing. But you just kind of at that time, can't make sense of it. Yeah, no, that is very true. Isn't it? That journey can seem unclear, but you just got to sort of, you look back and it makes sense. But at the time, the way forward is it's not so clear. Um, on a final question on that, then, um, you're, you're talking about your sort of more errant days. I mean, 
without wishing to, you know, pry too much, was there any sort of good detention stories or anything particularly wayward you did that we should learn about? Um, so when I was in year seven, we had a whole class detention, which doesn't count because it was the whole class. Mm. But I started crying hysterically. And my teacher, my form tutor said, what's the matter? Like, why are you crying? Because you've got to imagine this is like this girl sitting there with a monobrow and like, like shaking in, in utter grief. And you don't even know why. And so she said, what's the, what's the matter? What's the matter? And I said, my dad is going to be really angry when he finds out I've got detention. And the teacher let me go early kept the rest of the class and said, you go, you just go. And I ran outside and my dad was, my dad used to pick me up and my dad was waiting outside. He said, why are you late? And I said, we had a whole class attention. And he just, he didn't even bat an eyelid. He didn't care. But I, at that point, I was utterly devastated. Um, then this other time I was in year 11 and um, gosh, awful story. So I was, um, <laughs> I was bunking off PE <laughs> And I went to meet um, with my friends, uh, a boy that I liked. Um, I went to a girl's school and he went to the college opposite. So we went to the local chicken shop to have a little date. And um, one of the teachers from the school caught me there and said, I am going to call your house and I'm going to tell your parents Mm. that you have been caught bunking and you are hanging out with boys in the chicken shop and that was, <laughs> that was another that was another meltdown moment I started crying and shaking hysterically and I was like please they're gonna kill me don't <laughs> and do you know what she didn't she didn't call my parents she didn't tell them she has used it as a warning um which I'm very grateful for do they know that story if they listen to this podcast are they going to discover that for the first time I'm hoping they just won't listen to the podcast <laughs> I mean they found out about a lot of my a lot of my bad behavior when when I didn't um when my A-level results came out when I missed my medicine mm. offer a lot of the truth came out but that particular thing they don't know about that's interesting you bunked off PE because um more recently you had a TV show out called the truth about getting fit at home you know looking at the science behind what should we be exercising or what, what's good and what doesn't work so obviously you've got into exercise now um but at school clearly you didn't you didn't enjoy PE I'm guessing then you weren't sort of particularly sporty or part of the sports teams or anything like that when I was younger I, I was super sporty with my brother and, and like my family and I used to go to the um, park and we used to play cricket together we're Pakistani that's just what we did like summer day go to the park play cricket together uh, I used to play football with my brother and then like I said teenage years everything just mm. changed and the more I sort of, yeah, I just became a lot more kind of girly and I wasn't interested in that stuff anymore. And PE meant that I would mess up my makeup and mess up my hair. Isn't it insane how you can, I mean, in just the space of a couple of years, you can just change entirely. Wow. I went from like model student, fully focused on my education to, gosh, the type of student I would probably hate now. Just... <laughs> complete rebel um but yeah I didn't so PE I, I felt like it was a total waste of time it was a compulsory lesson I didn't mm. um choose it for my GCSEs I wasn't interested um and so I just I just yeah always mysteriously had period conveniently had period pains or I just didn't bother turning up at all 
I only got back into fitness when I was in my mid-20s. In my mid-20s, I was like, right, time to start going to the gym and trying to sort my life out a little bit. And now I'm making TV shows about fitness. (laughs) Yeah, do you you think the teachers at those schools will be watching that on TV thinking, this cannot be the same person? I mean, it wasn't that I was hugely unfit. It was just, I just wasn't interested in PE lessons. Yeah. And it's weird Mm. because like when I became a teacher and so many of my um, female students again, hated PE, like, miss, can I just stay with you? It's PE, can I just stay with you? Can you just say I've got work? And that did make me laugh because that was so me when I was at school. Mm. And and did you did you sort of give them any leeway or did you sort of think, no, you need to, you know, I've been through this and I know that it's worth doing. Yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> I would send them to PE. I tried to uh, teach them through the error of my ways. One thing I wanted to ask was you're on. We've talked about now. You're on. You're on the television. You've done quite a few shows. They're all. They're all out there to sort of to be found. Do you think being a teacher helped prepare you for being a TV presenter, or do you? And or what's more nerve wracking? You know, presenting to a camera with a with an audio a studio around you, or with a with camera crew around you, or, or pupils in a classroom. Someone said to me once um, when I first started telly, and they said, "God, I don't know how you do it. It must be so scary." And I said, I used to stand in front of 30 students per hour, 30 teenagers per Mm. hour and perform to them. Nothing, nothing can scare me now. Nothing can scare me. Um, I think definitely teaching is, I I wouldn't say it's frightening, but you've got to imagine, people who aren't teachers have to imagine the effort you put into a preparing a presentation for example at their Mm. workplace and it is a really scary time and you spend hours and hours of prep into it and you've got to make sure that your you know your energy levels are up and I mean teachers do that six times a day every single day Mm. there is no better preparation or practice for public speaking and on top of that if you're doing that to 11 to 18 year olds who you've got to try and kind of maintain and keep on side and deal with confrontations or deal with whatever it may be. I mean, it's, you. Be, it, gosh, you become incredibly skilled at just dealing with people and your emotional intelligence is incredible. And you, TV compared to that is, 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 is easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find a nice way to say, yeah, it is. And don't get me wrong, I, I feel really uncomfortable um speaking to a camera because I'm used to speaking to human beings so it's not that you know it's not easy is probably not the right word because it is I mean I do get nervous and I do worry whether I'm doing it right or not and I do feel uncomfortable when I'm doing it and self-conscious when I'm doing it it's different it's very different but if I had to say which one is more yeah frightening than definitely yeah. standing in front of a class. When I first started teaching, when I was um, in my training year, I used to have a script that I used to stick to my desk for every single lesson. And I had written everything from, good morning class, put your bags under the table. Everything was scripted because I was so completely terrified. Because if you have a moment of mm. weakness, kids can pick up on that. Kids will pick up on that. They can sense it. They can sense when you're having like a, <laughs> a, a moment of, if you're, if you're yeah. scared, they can see that. So you have to put on this kind of, yeah, this um, front of being, this facade of being super confident and just having all the answers when you don't. Well, I mean, I've done a, I've done a little bit of lecturing, like very occasional lecturing in journalism 
courses at a university. And one of the things I found that what you're talking about there, that presenting element is, you know, I've done presentations in work settings and there'll be people listening to this that would have done that. But the difference is, is that in a work setting, people don't sort of actively show disdain for being there or look bored or play on their phones, you know, or, or at least they shouldn't. And people don't. Doing lecturing was weird because, you know, you're talking about something important they need to know and they're all there looking out the window, chatting away in the back. And you're sort of like, I'm doing a very professional thing here, but I'm doing it with people who aren't on the same level, which is understandable. So it's a very weird dynamic, isn't it? So it doesn't help, you know, being confident or not. It's like the audience is a different audience to being in the workplace, which is what most people think of as presenting. Yeah, 100%. Um, I don't know. I think there are so many elements to being a good teacher. Some people think that if you've been to Oxford or Cambridge, then you'll be the best teacher ever because you're going to you know, be at this amazing academic mm. level. And actually having all the knowledge in the world can't make you a good teacher because you've got to be able to make that information accessible for the students. Um, you've got yeah. to make it interesting. You've got to make it fun and engaging so they are willing to learn. You've got to think of a starter that will grip them and get them in the right mood to be able to kind of deal with the rest of the lesson. You've got to yeah. be able to, you know, differentiate, but equally like, so challenge the higher ability students, but at the same time, be able to support the the lower ability students. You there is There's so much to being a good teacher beyond just having subject knowledge you've got to be strict but you've got to be human you've got to you know it's it's a difficult mm. balance but i think when you master it gosh you you're unstoppable yeah well, well the nice thing about this podcast is it's shown with the guests so far that those kind of exactly as you describe a great teacher has to do all these things and it, and yet at the same time to your point as well like your earlier story it's the little small things that you spend no time thinking about that just happen organically can also be very impactful and that's a wonderful opportunity to have, but also kind of stressful, I suppose, as well. I mean, did you, because you talked there about quite sort of openly about how you found it quite nervous being a teacher at the start and what, how you had to plan for it. Were you also aware of that, that like, oh, everything I say to these children could, could influence them or, or, you know, I want to be a great teacher lesson-wise, but I want to be a great teacher pastorally, you know, or do those things sort of happen almost in the background because you haven't got time to think about them? I think at the beginning when I first started, I didn't think about that at all. I didn't think, oh, anything I say, it was just about how do I get these kids under control, make sure that they're not messing around <laughs> and make sure that they pass their GCSEs. And that is, I mean, for the first, I mean, I'd say a good couple of years, that's what I was focused on. And I didn't really, I, I naturally, I was a very, very young teacher. I was straight out of uni. I was 21 when I started teaching and I was teaching some A-level retake students who were 19. They were practically the same age as me. Um, so... I think naturally I built relationships with my students, but it was so scripted because I was so scared of getting it wrong and getting through the lesson. You know, you've planned this lesson, you've got this plenary, you're going to do it. Um, that I didn't really focus or really think about. I didn't have like, yeah, the time to think about um, really developing these students as people. And that's something that very much came over the years with experience when I stepped away from my script and I realized sometimes the best lessons are the ones where you don't get through the lesson plan and you realize that there was this amazing sparky moment where this debate occurred about something that seemed irrelevant in the planning and you said you know what screw the lesson plan let's just talk about this and the students that's when they really grow and that's when you really build relationships and get to know them as people and all those things then end up 
making, yeah, making them do the best that they can possibly do. It's not just about getting through the curriculum, getting through the lesson plans. Yeah, and you almost can't teach that on a course. Like you're saying on a university course, you have to learn that by being in the classroom for two years, three years, four years. That just comes naturally as you as you develop. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, it became really important. I think at first you have this kind of almost maybe insecurity when you're a new teacher and when you're a young teacher. And I'd argue actually when you're a young female teacher, you want to be taken seriously. So you are afraid to be, to let them in too much, to let your guard down too much because you want to seem like this, you're in this sort of position of authority and you want to show them, no, like don't, just because I'm small, don't don't think that you can, you can, yeah, like take the mick out of me. But when you become more confident in your ability as a teacher, you can kind of yeah let your guard down a little bit. And I would tell the students about my personal life in an appropriate way. I'm not saying I'd tell them sort of inappropriate details, but they very much knew that I am a human being with my own life. I have good days and I have bad days, and I, just like them. And I think that element is really important. I personally feel like mm. it's important for them to see that you've come in and you're just not feeling well today and you're going to be honest and you're not going to pretend like you're some superhuman. And they relate to that. Or if I'd say, do you know what? This morning, X, Y, and Z happened. And then we talk about it. And I think that's really nice because that mm. you gain their trust, you know? And we're going to get very meta here, obviously. So you're, you were a teacher... You're now on television. You're being interviewed for a podcast about My Best Teachers, but you also have your own podcast called The Secret Lives of Teachers in which you interview teachers about what it's like to be a teacher. So I think <laughs> I said the word teacher so many times, I lost all meaning. But tell us a bit about that for anyone who's not aware of what that podcast does. And perhaps more excitingly, if anyone listening would like to get on in- involved, how can they do that? Oh, we're always looking for teachers to get involved. Um, the Secret Life of Teachers basically is a podcast where I I wanted people to be able to hear the kind of conversations that occur in the staff room. Now, I know when I was a teacher, those conversations in the staff room often kept me going, whether that was other teachers kind of sharing their experiences and saying, don't worry, this also happened to me and, you know, sharing their kind of wisdom, whether it was like just really funny, shocking stories of what happened that day. And you were like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. They can be hilarious. They can be tragic and heartbreaking. They can, I, I wanted people to get an insight. And I think particularly during the pandemic, when everybody suddenly had this opinion on teachers and whether they should be doing more and are they lazy? Should they go back into school? And everyone suddenly had a say. I felt like it was the right time for teachers to kind of get a voice. And it was the right time for teachers to have a voice and like show people, tell people what it's really like day to day being a teacher. It's so much more, like I say, than reading out of a textbook. Being a teacher, you are, you know, you're your, you're your student's counsellor, you're their security guard, you're their nurse, you're their educator. You are so many roles in mm. one and things you have to deal with, whether that's with students or with parents or with colleagues every day. People have absolutely no idea. And I wanted... I just wanted teachers to have that platform to kind of say, well, this is what my job is like. This is what I do every day, whether that's funny, whether it's sad. I wanted people to really get to know them while they were all busy on Twitter talking about them. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great it's a great format. And I, I listened to a lot about school trips and teachers talking about, you know, the reality and some of the sort of 
stories there, which, yeah, I think cover all the things you mentioned there in terms of both being hilarious and, and sort of terrifying and, you know, the risk assessment issues and so forth. So it, it's good. And as I say, I mean, a teacher listening, I mean, obviously it's anonymous, which is good because you they can't really share these things to their name and their school, but then how can they get involved? So presumably they couldn't sort of message you on Twitter because then it would be sort of in the public. So is there a channel they can put themselves forward if they would like to share? So if you go on any of my social media, so if you go on my Instagram, it's Queen Marine or my Twitter, the Queen Marine, um, uh, you, there's an email address and you can email me um, on that email address. So, and it will come directly through to me. And that way I can filter through and you could, they can express their interest. It will come through to me. And then I make a list of all the teachers who are interested. And then I have a little chat with them to see what episode I think they would be, um, Mm. best in or what they feel most passionate about, what they would like to talk about. And then, yeah, that's how I basically do my casting. But it's really important for me to have teachers who, you know, my friends and my family and I can only speak about a very weird, for example, we will all talk about London, but teaching, your experience of teaching will vary according to whether you're in London or in the countryside, whether you're in a private sector, in the private sector or in the state sector. So I think I want to show a range of experiences um, I want teachers who are retired. I want teachers who are NQTs. Um, so I'm always looking for new teachers is my point. Yeah, that was good. Well, anyone, anyone listening who's interested, and I'm sure there will be many, well, I'm sure you'll be hopefully getting a few more emails soon. And, and so I feel as a final question, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but is there a story from your life as a teacher that you have never revealed that is shocking, scandalous, the kind of thing that would make, you know, that you'd have in that podcast a secret life's a teacher story for us okay so this one time um I in my first couple of years of teaching came into school and after the first couple of lessons at break time the head of English came into my classroom and she said Maureen you're gonna have to go home and I said (laughs) I've never told anyone this I said why what's the matter what have I done And she said, what you're wearing is really inappropriate. You're going to have to go home and change. (laughs) (laughs) So I, as a teacher, was sent home to go and change my clothes and come back. Well, I I won't ask what the outfit was because that that would sound like I was was being a bit untoward. But um, that must have been a bit of a sort of... Oh, crikey, you know, moment. How awful. Gosh, how terrible. I... um, it wasn't that bad, but it was a bit short. It was a bit too short. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, they get, well, and you said that's the first time you've ever revealed that. So, so there you go. So we have got a, a new story for the podcast. Yeah. It's a shocking secret life of teachers, although it's not secret because we know who you are. <laughs> it was never a problem after that. I was, I made sure that I dressed really appropriately after that. But <laughs> yeah, that happened. Excellent. Well, a great conversation. We've been, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground of, of all kinds of things, you know, chicken shop dates and um, crying to get out of detentions. I mean, I'm not sure you, we can condone that really, but it obviously worked for you. Um, so yeah, lo- lots of good stuff. Can I leave on a note of just telling all the teachers who get to listen to this that they are superheroes and it doesn't matter if they don't get a Thursday clap. It doesn't matter if, you know, what people on Twitter say, um, they are incredible. And they need to know that they are loved and appreciated and amazing. And these kids will remember them forever. 